Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're watching this edition or listening to if you're on one of the audio podcast channels of Hypnosis Week Live. It's me again, Alex William Smith, better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis. Although I keep getting told during this podcast that I need to do something about getting rid of that. But anyway, look, I've got another wonderful guest for you. This uh, past few editions, we've actually got more into the realms of stage hypnosis, entertainment hypnosis, albeit it does cross over into hypnotherapy as well and is very relevant whatever area of hypnosis you're involved in. So hang on because we're going to have some juicy stuff over the next 60 minutes. Um, the gentleman who I'm about to introduce you to, obviously if you're on a video channel, you can see him on the other side of the screen, but he's going to be sharing uh, his experiences with you shortly. He's currently uh living down in let me get this right tavistock in cornwall yeah uh, devon down in devon down in the west country not far well i say it's not far from my mum she's in taunton it's quite a bit of a distance yeah, it's, it's not too far away and but he's in more the vast majority of his work as a stage hypnotist certainly in terms of what's plugged on his website and whatnot has been a large amount in ireland but a massive amount in america and we're going to get into that in a minute so please welcome to the show a gentleman with a very interesting sporting background as well that we're going to dig into um incredibly well known in the world of stage hypnosis mr barry jones welcome to the show sir thank you sir how are you doing I'm, well, as good as anyone can be in this nonsense that the world is currently living under, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's affected us, hasn't it, in, in so many ways. I, 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 and I don't see an immediate end to it right now. I think we're going to be seeing at least probably, I'm projecting at least another year before we get back out there. I, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping sooner. But um, I, I just don't see it. I mean, I'm inclined I'm, to agree with you at least a year till it appears to be normal. But even then, I think we're going to have difficulties because people will be so ingrained and brainwashed into the social distancing and all this, that, the other, that they're going to be less likely to volunteer, I reckon. Well, I think so. And I got like I got an email yesterday from one of my schools that I do, you know, for my high school graduations in California. And they're saying, you know, we want you to come. They're basically rolled over from last year's shows. All my shows rolled over to this year. Of course, they were thinking that a year away, yeah. you know, the virus is going to be gone. But their vocabulary is, yes, we've got May 31st, but only if, you know, things have changed. And I, you know, I just emailed them back and said, yep, thanks. I said, let's just, you know, take it one day at a time. Because California is a mess right now. Really, really bad. How would you compare it to, because obviously you, you know a lot of people out there, to yeah. what we're going through in England? Well, it's probably, it's not as, the death rate isn't as high as it is in, in, uh, in California based on, the total amount of people, um, but it's in a complete lockdown in many, many ways. So, you know, it's the same as England in many, many ways. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same point in time, people are not taking it seriously. And everybody is saying that, you know, it's, they think that it's not going to hit them. And that's the way, that's just human nature. You know, it's there, but it's not going to hit me. But we're seeing, I'm hearing more and more of friends of friends that have it now, mm -hmm. that have had it as well. Uh, they've all got through it, um, uh, but some haven't and are really, really struggling. So when it hits you in terms of friends or people that you know, then it's a little bit different. And my wife's a nurse practitioner from the States. So she's right on the on the, the thumb of everything that's going on. And, you know, she's got a strong science background. And to be honest with you, you know, she, she doesn't think this is going to end anytime soon. But we don't know. And we don't, you know, we don't know about viruses. 
the mutation rate and whether the the vaccines are going to actually work. And in the in this country, they're not giving a second dosage. Their their idea, their scientific idea, is that we'll give as many people the first dosage, but it's it's not meeting the science pro, science protocol of we give you the second one 28 days later. They're ignoring it, which, yeah. you know, I, I don't crazy, know. Crazy, crazy world we find ourselves in as we yeah. as we uh, record this on the 28th of January 2021, to put it in context for anyone finding it in the future. Um, we won't dwell on that too much yet. I'm no doubt it'll interweave into what we're doing, but that's where we kind of find ourselves now. Yeah. Um, fundamentally, from a stage hypnosis point of view, largely out of work for the past 12 months. There's been the odd window of opportunity, but largely out of work, mainly having to focus on hypnotherapy side of things that can be yeah. done online and whatnot. But that's where we're at the minute. It's going to get back to where it was eventually. We oh, don't yeah. know when. But how did we get to here? I don't mean in any way to suggest that you were to blame for the virus. You're not uh, making that very clear. But how did we get to this point in life? Because there was a time when Barry Jones wasn't a hypnotherapist. He wasn't a stage hypnotist. Um, he was Barry Jones involved in sport and education and stuff yep. and ended up changing paths. Can you tell okay. us a bit about your story and yeah. your journey? I went I went across to the States after I finished my teaching degree at Newcastle. And um, like many students, you, you take a gap year and you uh, a lot of people go on what is known as Buna Camp, which is where the a summer camp in America sponsors you to go out there. And a lot of students do that. And they pay for your flight and uh, you work it's like slave labor, but you yeah. get go out there, they pay for everything, they feed you, and they give you a little bit of money at the end. So that was my experience of, of being in the States, and I ended up in North Carolina and worked on a, a camp that was about 750 kids and about 300 counselors, and a lot of them were Brits. This was one of the largest camps in America, and it hired, hired a lot of... Um, Brits and New Zealanders and Australians. And um, they offered me uh, a, a job to come back for the second year um, to run one of the camps. And I, I didn't want to be in a cabin with the kids again. Right. And uh, I said I would come back, but I would run their waterfront and uh, activities the swimming, the white water rapids, and the water skiing. So I didn't have, I had my British qualifications uh, for swimming, professional swimming qualifications, but I didn't have my American ones. They said, yes, we want you back. We'll put you through your American qualifications. And they got me that, and I ran the waterfront program there. And then that year after camp had finished, I hitched across to California and I got dropped off at a, a university called Cal Poly, which is just, it's outside of LA. Um, and I went into the PE department and I said, do you have any teaching jobs? And they said, well, what do you teach? And I said, I, you know, this, 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 and this. And they said, well, uh, with Actually, we could use you, and uh, but they didn't have my paperwork, so they said send all your paperwork out, and we'll get your contract. And um, that was July, June, July time, August time. So then I went back to England, sent my paperwork off. They sent me my visa stuff, and uh, they gave me an adjunct faculty position. And I taught at the university and they paid for my, for my master's degree. And uh, and so it was like a dream come true because I always wanted to go to the States and I always wanted to uh, get my master's degree and also coach rugby. Well, I started a rugby team and uh, and then as time went through, I was doing courses uh, in my graduate work on sports psychology. And uh, we, we touched on hypnosis, but uh, 
I didn't follow through with it. I just knew that, you know, from my undergraduate work also that in sports psychology, there was this hypnosis thing. But, you know, once again, you kind of just go over the top and you leave it. And then I started doing ultra distance racing. And I, I was the first Brit to do the Ironman triathlon in Hawaii. And uh, I, during my racing uh, and my training, I was drifting into trance states, uh, losing periods of time. And um, it wasn't unusual for me to be training five to six hours a day, you know, for the race. I was training almost full time. Yeah. And um, drifting into these periods where I would just go to these different zones. Well, a year after I finished Hawaii, the Ironman in Hawaii, I did another race, which was known as the Death Race which was in the hottest part of USA called Death Valley. And uh, there was 75 of us started the race and there was two of us finished. I didn't finish first, I finished second. Still, but, that's bloody good going, isn't it? <laughs> but the race started and uh, it was 137 miles on the bike. You then get off the bike and then run up to the top of Mount Whitney, which was at 14,500 feet. So you start at 258 below sea level and you go to 14,500 feet. And it took me 21 hours. And uh, the temperature was, I don't know what this transfers to in Fahrenheit, but it was 125 degrees, which is 50, is it? Very, very hot. Anyway, it's the hottest. I was going to say, that sounds, I'm not, I'm not good with the conversion. Well, that sounds incredibly hot. It was really, really hot. And a lot of people just dropped out because of the intense heat. And that's why they call it Death Valley, because there's, there's nothing there. And, um, and so it went from complete burning heat to uh, when you got to the top of Mount Whitney, all of my sweat turned to icicles and my whole face and my hair was all frozen. What do you have? Because that's the, the extreme temperature change. Well, anyway, I lost four hours of time. I drifted into a four hour trance and I didn't know where I was, uh, what was going on. People, I had three support crews uh, that went with me to, to give me water and to give me food. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they were telling me, I, you know, you, you, you have to get off here and do this and do that. And I said, I, I've done this. I've done that. They said, no, you haven't done it. And uh, it was just, I, I lost my body just to deal with the extreme exhaustion and the, and the, and the heat and then the cold. And um, I, when I finished the race and, and the next day, uh, I was just fascinated by this loss of time because I was drifting in and drifting out with the memories, but I couldn't quite put it all together. Mm -hmm. And of course, I, I understood it at, at an intellectual level. And um, I found out that um, the University of California, uh, San Diego, which was a pretty high up medical school, had a course in clinical hypnosis. Okay. which they taught to physicians and health professionals as an adjunct to traditional medicine. And um, you had to have a master's degree before you could even apply to go on the course. And I figured, you know, this is a chance for me to really understand what was going on in the race. And uh, I took the course and... Um, and then I started utilizing some of the techniques that I'd learned with my students. And I introduced uh, a, a fitness and a stress relief to uh, part of my health education course. And we were lucky that the, the school gave you a syllabus, but they said, really, this is if you want to teach it your way, you can do. But okay. Follow, follow, you know, these types of things. Mm -hmm. And health education, of course, is comprised of a multitude of different things. And I just integrated hypnosis. 
into it. And then some of my students found out that I was, uh, you know, doing hypnosis. And um, we had dormitories on campus. And at that time, I transferred from uh, the university where I was to another university, not too far from Disneyland, actually, in Anaheim. And um, I taught there and I coached rugby there. And that's when I introduced the hypnosis to my students. And the students asked me, would I do a show in the dorms one night? And I figured, well, I can hypnotize one person. What? What's stopping me hypnotizing, you know, lots and lots of people. So do you not studied any anything related to, I know it's, we know it's the same technique used differently, but I mean, so-called stage hypnosis no. at that point. No? no? Nothing. Oh, right. Okay. Nothing. Um, and um, I just uh, had seen some, uh, I had seen a stage hypnotist uh, at a comedy club one night and I remembered the types of stuff that he used and stuff. And I just thought, well, might as well just do it. And uh, I had about 300 students there. And uh, I just wrote down um, how I was going to go, what, what my format was going to be. And I put it down on a piece of paper. And, uh, and, and that was it. And it was a one and a half hour show. And uh, hell. Yeah. And uh, I was just blown away how easy it was. Um, and it, it was easy for me because when you're up in front of talking to students, it really isn't much different. And I really didn't think there wasn't any point in time that I thought this isn't going to work. Well, I've got to point out the ob well, what seems obvious to me, but I'm pointing out the obvious sometimes so that anyone who's starting out can learn from what might not yet be obvious to them because often we take things for granted as their teacher figure you were already the perceived authority figure weren't you absolutely which the stage hypnotist needs to be that prestige that's it yeah yeah um and that is a massive massive component of uh of hypnosis it's probably one of the most important parts that beginners don't really understand and if they can't walk up on the stage and give a persona that they're in control of this situation then they're not going to do really well and, and that's the bottom line because those people in the audience are going to see straight through you so yeah I got up there and it was it was easy for me and um, word got around students told other students and they had friends that were at universities mm -hmm. and um, very soon word got around and I was getting calls from other universities would I come and do you know this event or that event and um, within I think two two years something happened in between but within about a two-year period of time I was up to nearly 200 shows a year Wow. Um, so essentially, from what I took from that, and I think readers should find, well, I say readers, viewers and listeners even, should find incredibly motivational from that, is that you, yes, you did learn clinical hypnotherapy, but ultimately you saw a stage, you'd seen a stage hypnotist, you roughly remember what they did, but your real education was getting off your ass and going and doing it. Yeah. And then what happened in between, it was really interesting because um, I absolutely loved teaching at university. But it got to the point where I, I was getting calls within that period of time when the students were telling other students and I was getting calls. And I was having to fit in around my uh, teaching. Uh, uh, to go and do shows and it got to the point where I was turning down $1,500 shows because I had teaching uh, assignments and I had to meet those assignments. Uh, in that period of time, I then transferred to another university in San Diego and I used to cycle backwards and forwards to my classes to teach and on cycling back from 
from one of the col the college one day, I got hit by a car. Oh. And uh, they uh, made a right turn into me as I was going down a hill. It, she was a lady of 80 years old, just didn't see me. It caught my handlebars in her front bumper and just dragged me along the road. Oh. Uh, and then eventually she realized that she was dragging me or she heard me screaming. Anyway, I, uh, I wasn't badly injured. I had a lot of road rash and, uh, you know, my bike was a write-off. But um, I had a friend that was an attorney and he said, you know, he said you could have sustained some long-term injuries, take it to court. And uh, I got a settlement. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was enough for me to hire a marketing person uh, that put all of my, I had to make a decision. I had to make a decision whether I was going to keep on teaching or I was going to go the road which I had been steered into by doing that first show. And it was expensive to go that initial step to hire a marketing person, get all the promotional materials and put that all together. But I had the money and I just thought, plow it all in here, get it all done. He did everything for me. And within a week of mailing out those materials, I covered all of my costs. Nice. With shows from responses back because I mailed it out to all of the high schools. Um, what and, sort of era was this? What sort of year to date it? Because obviously anyone watching or listening who, who is in the biz, it's likely, well, I don't know, it might still, it might be like that still in America, but I know in England, the days of sending out your 10 by 8 photographs and your press pack and stuff are, are long gone. It's digitalized yeah. and online now. Yeah, 82. Okay, right, okay, yeah. Um, and um, understand that back in that time, there wasn't many of us that were full-time, that were professional hypnotists. There was only a handful of people really out on the circuit that were really doing this as a full-time living. Um, it only started when people started to do the mass teaching that there was everybody and their brother and sister were hypnotists, you know. So, um, so within that period of time, uh, I did the mail outs. I got a bunch of uh, high schools, universities, and and that was it. And within that period of time, it I just it just blossomed completely. It got out of control, and then I started to do the fair circuit, and um, I was on the road for months at a time, just going from one fair to the next fair to the next fair. Well, I know you got that busy that you ended up effectively acted as an agent for other hypnotists as well yeah because there was yeah. that there was too much work for you to do yourself yeah but i only did that for my uh summer season you know uh i got out of the the, the fair circuit because it was um I, I i like being at home and i like to train and i like to be healthy and for being on the fair circuit is not a healthy existence and you're doing two to three shows a day. And um, you, you're you on the road. You go from one fair to the next fair and to the next fair. And you're staying in hotels and motels and you're eating crappy food. Mm -hmm. And uh, it didn't appeal to me any longer. So I've, got to, I've got to, I'm asking you these questions. to Obviously, I've got my own insights. But they yeah. may be totally different from yours, and, that, and that's cool. But hopefully they'll guide me to ask you questions that will be helpful to the people watching and listening to then think, you know what, I'm going to go to Barry's website, barryjones.com, the link's below the video or the audio, and I'm going to check out his home study hypnosis, stage hypnosis course, or, you know, and get some of his show videos and stuff. So how do you... I'm, I'm not sure if you've what proportion of shows you've done, shall we say, in England. I know you've done Ireland, um, but I've done very few in the way of shows in America. But the very few that I have, what struck me compared to England was that it 
Americans, if you're upset, send me the hate mail, are way easier to hypnotise than English people? It, it's an interesting question. Um, I think that you could possibly say that it's uh, Americans are more gullible, but I don't think it's that. I think it's more of a socialization process in terms of that hypnosis is traditional in the USA. So there's a lot more exposure. It's traditional in terms of the hypnotist comes in to the high school uh, during the day to do a show um, for some of the school. And um, then they have their graduations. The hypnotist comes in. Um, they have their, uh, I can't remember what they call that, where the seniors get together and they wear tuxes and stuff. And Oh, grad nights. No, not that's, that's separate. The grad nights oh. and there's, there's something else. Where the girl, the guy asks the girl and they, they put a, you know. A, sorority? Uh, no, that's no, that's girls. Sorority. No, but anyway, what yeah. the big difference is that, that the Americans have got an exposure to it. It's, and then when you get to university, the hypnotist is at student orientation. So you've got all of these people that have seen hypnotists at fairs, at high schools. Uh, they all know that it's almost real and that, yeah, I want to take part. Whereas in England, um, or when, when I go to Ireland, um, nobody's seen a hypnotist or hardly anybody's seen a hypnotist when I'm doing the university shows. Um, but they are not as questioning in Ireland as they are in England. England team, people in England team to be, seem to be more um, sceptical and uh, will, will question it and will go, this is all made up. So that's the difference. But I don't think it's necessarily um, anything else than a lack of exposure. If we had the exposure in England, I think we would see more people taking part in it. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, what I mean, because the key thing, one of the key things is that in England, we have this bloody thing, the 1952 map, which, to be honest, I don't think is tight enough. I think there should be tighter laws than that, personally, because it, it's supposed to be there to protect the people who take part. And it barely scrapes the surface of health and safety from my point of view. However, one of the things in it, it's, you're not allowed to hypnotise people under the age of 18 for entertainment in England, whereas obviously in America, um, I've heard of I've heard of hypnotists who do like eight-year-olds' birthday parties. Yeah, yeah. I had a huge market in San Diego that was the bar mitzvah market, uh, bat mitzvah and bar mitzvah. That's turning uh, 13 years old, and uh, I I was doing events every weekend every weekend and uh uh and then at the fairs um you do a small fair a little town country fair you're gonna get your only volunteers that you're gonna get are gonna be kids that are 12 and 13 14 years old uh you're not gonna have a show otherwise because you're not gonna get any volunteers now how it Again, I believe this is a societal, environmental upbringing, conditioning, it being seen to be normal uh, and acceptable. I mean, I just can't comprehend. In England, I couldn't comprehend some summer fate, them suddenly going, right, the band's finished. We're now having a, a, a stage hypnotist and um, kids getting up. Parents would have panic attacks. They'd be going mad. The kids would probably kick the hypnotist in the nuts. Yep. Um, like the little... Yep. Um, it's bizarre. Yep. But once again, it's a socialization process. What are you used to? And a lot of the kids that go to the fairs, um, they, they don't go with their it's parents. It's 11.30. They don't go with their parents. They uh, go by themselves. You oh, know? Right. So um, I, I would, 
I stopped doing the small affairs because it, 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 it was hard work because I didn't want to do kids. And eventually I started going for the large affairs and uh, you get huge audiences and you can pick and choose. And I eventually went with 14 years and above. So uh, I cut all of that age group out mm-hmm. below that. Um, so, yeah, it's just not exciting. You don't have the life experiences with the types of, of suggestions that you're giving for an 11-year-old. Yeah. Uh, you, you can change your material, but it's not the same. It's just not the same. So I've got to ask you, because obviously it's, boom, it's one of the big headlines on on, on your website. Your um, work... Um, Disney and um, on the Las Vegas Strip. Yep. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. I'm yes. guessing it was largely you getting off your backside and making things happen. Not, not really. Oh uh, no, they were they they were offered to me. Um, so the first one, Disney, I did for about four or five years, and then they tore the venue down that I was performing at to build oh. a hotel. Um, the Disney stuff came from high school graduations. And what happens is that uh, high school gradu- graduation happens either at the school uh, at nighttime or actually in the morning because those shows start at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, they, lock, they lock everyone in, don't they, I've heard? Yeah, they lock the kids in. Yeah. So the hypnotist comes on anywhere from one o'clock in the morning till three o'clock in the morning and shuts down the event. And uh, what happened was is the a lot of the kids, they would go to Disneyland for the early part of the night and they would go do all the rides and things. And then they would come back to a venue in Disneyland that the school hired um, and uh, then the hypnosis show happened there, and that's where I did all of my shows. Um, was was there? Um, I had an opportunity to work in Disney itself, although I got my paychecks from Disneyland. Uh, they were still contracted by the school. Okay. So the school contracted Disneyland. Disneyland paid me. Um, and then um, uh, I was booked at Disney again this year and uh, last year, but of course everything was cancelled. And as far as uh, Las Vegas is concerned, um, the Riviera, which is not there anymore. Sadly, sadly not there. Yeah, I mean that's one place I was offered the Riviera once, but my grandmother was well, she wasn't dying at the time in the physical death sense, but. She was dying dementia, and yeah, I, yeah. I, I ended up caring for her. But yeah, it got ripped down a lot. Heck, flipping heck. What, what sort of era was that? I mean, Riviera's been there forever and a day. Until... It was when Dr. Scott Lewis, remember? Okay. It yeah. was he was there, and uh, he was doing, he was covering some of my shows for me. And he asked me whether I would come and do some some uh, nights for him because he was doing some other things. And that just turned into doing more nights and more nights and stuff. So it was really an open invitation. This vague. I'm literally going to open the, I don't want to say this on camera in case my memory's serving me wrong. So I'm just going to search and make sure that I have this. Niggling in the back of my, yeah, no, that's right. I was remembering right, unfortunately. I didn't want to say it if I was remembering wrong. Stop. Yeah, Scott Lewis, unfortunately, he, he's no longer with us, is he? He was he, yeah. he fell, fell, fell out. Well, God knows yeah, what happened. In, he was in Australia, and uh, he. <clears throat> I don't think really anybody knows what happened. So he was on tour with the Illusionist, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't it. Vegas was fun. 
um, but it's like doing an event. Uh, it, it gets boring. It's an incredibly easy audience. Uh, if you know, there's nothing wrong with having an easy audience. If someone comes to a show in Vegas, they're going to participate. Um, and uh, so it was ultimately, you know, you're set. You've got your people there, and uh, it was they were easy. That they mm -hmm. there was a lot of alcohol, you know. Um, so it was fun, but uh, I turned down a lot of shows down there because I didn't want to travel six hours in the car or fly out there. Um, it was he didn't pay much. I did it just to really just to get the experience of doing something in Vegas. Yeah, and it looks good on the CV, Las Vegas. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we, we, you just said you know they're they're pretty easy shows because they're out there. It's in city. They've had a drink. It's the all in. But that's going in your favour, like yeah, um, like a lot of the European holiday, sun, sea, sand, and sex destination resorts. Again, similar thing. Yeah. The you uh, high schools, they're all up for it because they've grown up with it. Yep. I know you've done military stuff, which I always say military shows are amongst the easiest. Yeah. As long as you've been booked by the sergeant major or their boss or something, and they basically are present, then it's a walk in the park and they don't want to upset the sergeant major. Right. That thing. What are the difficult shows? Because they're, they're, they're kind of at the... All right, all of those can have difficulties. I'm not... For anyone who's never done a show, all of those can have things that go wrong, and it's through the experience you've got of doing dozens and hundreds and thousands of shows that you you, you make it work. But, ge uh, you know, generally speaking, there are shows and situations that are naturally harder than yeah. those. What what would you say are the, are the ones that are the, the more difficult end for someone starting out thank thank goodness uh, I, I really haven't had a, a lot I've had the ones that I've had bad have been bad and uh, you know um, I, there's really two only that were significantly bad and uh, both were alcohol induced bad um, and that was the limitation. One was a corporate event, and um, it, I was working with a brand new agent, and uh, we got the people up there, and they were they were wasted. I mean, well and truly wasted. Oops. And during the induction, they were opening their eyes and laughing, and uh, you know, it just didn't it didn't go down well and uh i can't i stopped the show and i said you know this is it, it's it is just not going to work and i said to the agent i'm going to give you your money back i said i just don't want to do this in under this situation and i then got the people i said i am going to stay behind and i am going to uh if anybody wants to volunteer under a non-show situation, then mm -hmm. I'll have to give you an experience. And every person that came up all went out. And well, I, could, well, I could, well. have, could have done a show, but I had already said to them I wasn't going to do a show, and I'd given the, the agent the money back, mm -hmm. which I've never done before, but if I was gonna work with this agent in the future, I wanted them to understand, you know, that from a professional point of view, um, this just did not work for me. And I, I already said to her that I will not deal with high alcohol content. And I could have used that against her, but I decided just leave this. Let's get a, a blank sheet and just walk away from this. And then the other one was I'd done a grad night and one of the students who had been hypnotized by me, wanted me to do a show for their grandfather. And uh, I gave them the price and everything. And I said, you know, it's probably not the best type of entertainment for this age group because it was 60 year old plus. Mm -hmm. And 
the people that were going to be there were going to be in their 60s. And I don't have a problem with that. Um, but I said to him, I said, you know, if there's going to be a lot of drinking, um, I don't want to do this. Um, I said, you're probably better off getting a, a, a magician or some other entertainment. He said, no, no, I want you. I definitely want you. I want you to come. So they flew, they flew me out. And um, when I got there, it was supposed to start at seven o'clock at night. They were, it was an Asian family. They were, okay. they were Chinese. Uh, uh, a lot of them were first generation Chinese and it was very, very poor, broken English. Ah. Uh, and that was major, major problem. And then when I got there, you know those large bottles of scotches, the really big ones? They're like that big, not yeah. a standard bottle, but like that that big. The ones you kind of get in nightclubs on the optics, the big massive ones. Big ones, yeah. yeah. Each table had one of those on. And uh, I was supposed to start at seven. I started at 8.39 and those bottles were gone. They had drank those bottles on every single table. They were so wasted. And I, you know, I kept on saying, we need to start. We need to start. I said, I have to start now. <laughs> and uh, we started and uh, the people that came up uh, were first generation, broken English. They could hardly understand the English. Work. And they were they could hardly sit on the chairs. They were almost falling off. I got the kid came up. He went out like a light, of course, and it was so easy. I started to do the show and give him suggestions, and he started reacting. His father wigged out and dragged him off. He didn't want him to be hypnotized. Oh. So I was left, you know, it was a disaster. Anyway, I learned from my lesson from that other show that I was going to still charge them. And I did. I charged them. Wasn't a great experience for me, but uh, no. But hey, we all we all we all have them, and anyone who says that they never had a bad show is either, in my opinion, either a liar or they haven't done enough shows. Right? Um, it, it happens. I had a venue in San Diego which we called Fourth and B, and uh, I would do it once or twice a month, and uh, I'd get anywhere from eight hundred to twelve hundred people at the show. Nice. It was massive. We'd have I had three comedians open up for me. They would come on from seven till eight-ish. Then I they would take a break in between, and then uh, then I would come on for an hour and a half show. And uh, they had three bars in the venue. Uh, it was so big inside, and uh, had a bunch of a lot of drink, a lot of drink. And I would have I had three bouncers that would be on the front of the stage. And uh, so I'd call for volunteers and, uh, you know, I would turn around and I'd say, no, you go back, you go back, you go back. And the bouncers would just take them off. Nice. <laughs> tell, but you could tell those ones that were really wasted. Yeah. I just didn't, I just didn't have them up there. You know, a little bit of alcohol. It was fine. Inhibitions go. It too was, much and just yeah it's, it's dangerous yeah, isn't it couple of drinks and that, that's fine but you go any further than that and other other hypnotists may they don't maybe they don't mind it i it's my personal choice not to deal with it well so. i think if they don't mind it that that's it, it's um well fuck it i'll say it if i offend anyone i couldn't care less there comes a point with alcohol which you've just described, that frankly, it's not a case of whether the hypnotist minds it. It's a case of that if you're going to abide by health and safety and duty of care laws and the equivalent, wherever you are in the world, pretty much, whether the hypnosis act or not is irrelevant, there are duty of care, health and safety laws. And if you knowingly let somebody who you should be able to see is a bit under the influence of alcohol, 
who therefore is less likely to be able to keep themselves safe when told to jump around like Elvis or whatever, that frankly you shouldn't be doing the bloody job. Right. In my opinion. Right. And I've had I've had um, uh, so-called re reactions, um, and typically it hasn't been with uh, the people that were hypnotized. It's been with reactions of people inside the audience that went out during the induction and uh, have reacted in an ab reaction type of situation. Uh, happened three, three or four years ago uh, where one of my routines, I have the person hypnotized or the people hypnotized to be fish and to go around the audience as little fish, you know, with their hands on the face like this and fish mouths. And uh, this girl that had, was in the audience, one of the fish came up to her and she absolutely freaked out. I mean, screaming and crying. And uh, I had to stop the show right there and then and, and deal with that situation. And um, she had gone under slightly. So there was some slight hypnosis going on. So she was amenable to reactions. Um, but she had a horrible, I, I talked to her afterwards when I got, I got, I put the show back together again, but quickly reversed any suggestions that were going on. Um, and she was still wigging out a little bit, but after the show, she apologized to me afterwards, came up to me. She didn't need to apologize to me, of course, um, that she had a horrible fear of fish, uh, a, a, a really, really bad fear of fish. And she saw these students as, as you know, being hypnotized as fish approaching her. Yeah. And um, she wasn't even in my show. Now, this is, I'm asking this on purpose because you, or as well as the stage hypnosis course, you've got a hypnotherapy course on your site, which people can find the link below, barryjones.com. Yeah. Um, how important, and this sounds a bit oxymoronish for people who are watching or listening, maybe, that you learn hypnotherapy and then you just got off your ass and went and learned stage hypnosis through doing it. Right. Um because most people will think, well, wouldn't it have been wise to get a bit of tuition? But the fact is, you you did it and you've done it successfully. So it might sound a bit oxymoronish when I ask this question of how important do you think it is to somebody doing stage hypnosis to also study uh, the techniques and background and the psychological elements of hypnotherapy so that they're more equipped for situations such as that you've just described where you know, I think it's a hundred percent that they they need to have uh, a basic education because so many hypnotists are uh, out there. And, and let me explain one thing to you when I'm saying this, and I'm not being negative in any way. It's just that I've been on the circuit longer than most people out there, and when all of the stage hypnotist teachers started teaching. Uh, we got a plethora of uneducated uh, stage hypnotists that were trying to do grad nights and having students having ab reactions and them not having any idea of what to do. Well, the trouble is a hell of a lot of the people, and we're talking late 80s, early 90s in particular, by my observation, who started running said courses in different places in the world, themselves didn't have what could really be called anything of a particularly successful career previously. Right, right. Um, and an another situation, that this is just something that I, I saw, uh, I saw another hypnotist. Um, I went to see him because somebody had told me that he had was copying my show word for word, literally yeah. word for word, and you know suggestion for suggestion. Yeah. And I went to see him. Not I. I. I couldn't care less. I was just wondering how good he was going to do it. <laughs> uh, and uh, what he did was he forgot to 
take out or put some fundamental information into one of the suggestions. The suggestion being on the count of three, you will try and talk to the person next to you. But when you try and talk to the person next to you, you've got peanut butter stuck inside your mouth and stuck to stuck to your tongue. It doesn't make you uh, feel sick or anything else. For those people that are hypnotized, if you have an, an allergic reaction to peanut butter, this does not apply to you, but the suggestion will be so funny when you still talk to the person next to you. Mm -hmm. The guy didn't do it. He didn't put that in. The kid went into aphylactic shock. They had to call the paramedics. His breathing uh, uh, was getting really, really bad. And I rushed across because I knew what had happened. And I uh, took over from the hypnotist and uh, brought him out. I told you, I told him that the peanut butter was not real. It wasn't going to affect him. His, his breathing settled down. By that time, they'd already called the paramedics. I then had to explain to the paramedics what was going on. And I've had to do that in a number of situations because the paramedics don't understand an ab reaction. No. They don't know it. Um, so Especially it, if what's presented to them in that example is something that is a yeah. physical, physiological reaction to... That's all that they see. And it, yeah. it's real. It's real. Hmm. So but it was psychosomatically induced yeah, in that. Was, yes. Yeah. And there's a, a ton of hypnotists out there that are, are screwing up and they can't hypnotize these kids. These are high school grad nights. You could fart and tell them that. <laughs> and they would all go under. And, you know, I get told by the DJs, because uh, I've worked with so many of the DJs that they've worked with the hypnotist two nights ago and none of the kids went under. And I'm going, how can that, how can that be? You know? Uh, well, you get the high school, you get the high school grad night committees that change most years, and they, you know, some hypnotists will come in and he's charging three hundred dollars, and I'm charging fifteen hundred dollars. Who are they going to charge? Who are they going to, you know, have come in? Well, yeah, well, certainly on the odd occasion it might be the cheaper one, but we'll probably hopefully learn yep. by their mistake. Yeah. Um, bloody hell. Yeah, it's true. Hypnosis. On the one hand, words, hypnosis, safe. You may think, well, it's the it's the potential reactions like you've just described that aren't always looked at. And um, as you will see when you go to barryjones.com, safety is one of the things covered in the stage hypnosis. Yeah. Uh, course which is very 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 important there's very few that do to any um any 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 serious level so where where, where when we get back to normal as it were with the world kind of going the full circle back to we're in a world where currently it's january 2021 and a lot of the world's in lockdown but when things reopen again and things get back to normal and we've gone through that period where people won't want to volunteer as easily because they've still got the residue conditioning of social distance once things are back as they were what sure have you got anything planned what you'd like to do in the future that you haven't done before or if you've achieved it all already what what I've, to be honest with you I've, I've really done everything that I, I want to do with hypnosis in terms of all of the venues the countries that I've performed in I've performed in eight different countries um, I absolutely love Ireland because Ireland the people are just so open and and easy to work with I love the universities there was there was one place that I wanted to work on, and that was on the uh, cruise liner. Okay. But you, you might as you're walking into a a floating petri dish of viruses, and uh, I would never get on a cruise liner. But that's the only place that I had actually tried to work on at one stage. I didn't try really hard. I put my uh, information out on. Uh, one of the cruise liner stuff and, um, uh, and and left it like that. But I didn't really follow up. 
So really every venue that I've wanted to work at, I've worked at. Uh, there was one thing, there was one time I did try and put together um, having my own venue um, and, and, and doing it that way. But, you know, four walling, uh, which you probably know what four walling is, is you yeah. pay for your four walls. Um, it gets too expensive. And um, I, I just decided against it because I was getting the bookings in and uh, there, was, there was a part of me that would like to try and do this. Uh, but the romance didn't last too long. So I should mention for Walling. I mean, the thing is, you weren't for Walling when you went um, into Vegas. And to be honest, um, well, Scott, the majority of the time, we, well, Scott was. Yeah, so I mean, you can genuinely say you've done Vegas shows without forewalling. But, you know, what a lot of viewers and listeners might not be aware of, even to this day, the vast majority of Las Vegas headline hypnotists are forewalling. They are effectively, even when they say they've got a X hundred thousand dollar or X million dollar contract signed, they very likely have, but that contract is that as long as the box office receipts come to that amount on a regular weekly or monthly average basis, yeah. that then they will get an X amount of money from the casino. And it sounds like they're getting paid, but they're not. It's actually just a, a rental contract that they could end up owing the venue money or being booted out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you pay to play in Vegas. You know, it's not as though that uh, <clears throat> anybody's making a ton of money there. You've got so many overheads and everything's union based. Um, you know, you can't have your own sound crew. You can't have your own sound equipment. It has to be done through the union. So it's uh, it's not a cheap date getting your own venue out there. No, I know a lot of people are, and they have to pay for, pay for it a lot. People don't know pay for it be a term for uh, basically giving away free tickets. Um, but then, obviously, generally speaking, as long as they negotiate the contract right, they get to keep back of the room sales money. Yeah. And that seems to be where the majority make uh, the, the money from, selling the DVDs of that night show and self-help stuff and, and whatnot. Is that something that you've done over the years? Because I know you, there's a lot of videos yeah. that people can go and buy off your site, and there's videos they can go and watch for free on yeah. YouTube as well at the links below. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I I got into it in in the fairs uh, fairly quickly. Um, I would uh, it was the back in the days when it was uh, VHS. I would have five of them stacked. Uh, yeah. And uh, I'd have my camera and stuff and uh, have them all piggybacked. And then, of course, I went to DVD burners mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and, and did it that way. And now, of course, with all my shows, I just go direct, shoot the video and then just drop it onto uh, Vimeo or YouTube and uh, just sell everything that way. But no, I got into that pretty quickly. And when I was on the fair circuit, um, I would make as much money, if not more, than what the fair was paying on, uh, on, on backroom sales. And then um, doing an adult show, I would make as much money that last night doing an adult show than I would make for the whole fair, doing that one adult show at a venue. Because what I would do is I would say, you know, um, this is a family show, um, but my... On the 14th, I'm going to be doing an adult show at so-and-so venue. I would book the venue, and then I would sell the tickets all through the week. Or ah. And then you'd get a plethora of people that would show up. And um, But, you know, I would sell the traditional weight loss and smoking. I only did two when I did the, uh, the, the CDs. Um, mm -hmm. I would just sell those two because those were the two main ones. And, um, yeah, it was good money from, from back of the room sales. Now, when you say adult show, I mean, the fact is you've got a squeaky clean 
image and credibility and it has to be that way because of high schools and grad nights and all that so what what was your how was your adult shows different was that more just the marketing or did you were the routines a bit more adults only yeah i'll send you a i'll send you a a video of my okay (laughs) well so it was actually they were getting an adult show oh yeah 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 oh cool okay But um, I would do that with my big downtown venue, and uh, it went over incredibly well. I mean, I used to pack the place. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was adult. It was definitely I, – I touched a thin line there. And I wouldn't uh, – I took some of the material, and I used it in Ireland for my university shows – but, you know, we've gone through a transitional phase uh, with uh, the reaction to that type of material. Well, this is going to be my next question, you see, in order, because we're getting close to the end. The one I've asked all sage hypnotists from all over the world is that some stuff that was considered adult and unacceptable years ago is now you can get away with because people are used to seeing far worse on television during the day. And then the stuff that you could get away with years ago that you can't because of all the politically correct it's ageist sexist racist or you know people are now identifying as different genders and all this what do you make of all of of it all in relation to what we do um i I, i've gone through a a change in in comfort level a, a personal growth or a, a, a regression or whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't feel comfortable doing those materials anymore at the venues. And in fact, when I do my Irish gigs, I would tell, I prefer to, I say I would feel much better not doing the adult stuff, uh, if that's okay with you. And, um, their attitudes have also changed. Uh, so my Irish shows now are pretty much squeaky clean. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I do uh, uh, a comedy club, then I would go, I wouldn't have any problems doing the adult material. I may take some of the material out because even when I think about it, it was, it was I took it one step too far. And uh, so I've changed. I've changed. And you've got to change with your audiences. And you've yeah. got to change with the times. So no, I can relate to that. There's tons of things that I wouldn't dream that I did in the early 90s that I just wouldn't. Right. Would not dream of doing now. No. Um, we live in a different world. It's strange. So... We've kind of, we've gone on a journey of therapy, stage hypnosis, how it interweaves. Um, and as I, well, as I most always say to people, and it's very relevant with, with, with this interview with Barry, is get yourself a notepad and a pen and watch or listen again and take notes. If you have any desire to do stage hypnosis or you do do it and you want insights, then Take notes because there has been pure gold in the past 60 minutes and do yourself a massive favour and get to the links below this video or below the speaker symbol on the podcast platforms and get yourselves to barryjones.com where you will find um, Barry's hypnotherapy course, stage hypnosis course, show stuff, other products as well. There'll also be a link there for Barry's YouTube channel because he's got a ton of videos out there that you can go and watch for free as well and links to his social media and, uh, and whatnot. I am going to say one thing, though. Please do, yeah. Yeah, just to, to just to reiterate this. If you've got a chance to go and do a stage hypnosis course with an individual that gives you the ability to be on a stage in front of an audience, uh, that would be your priority, your absolute priority. In my day, there really wasn't a lot of videos you could watch uh, on YouTube on hypnosis. Mm. Now there is millions of them. You could, you know, you can get all your material. 
you're never going to do, you're never going to get good experience unless you are performing. That's the only way you're going to become a good hypnotist. So if there is a course out there uh, that is offering you the ability to be on stage performing live in front of a real audience, that would be my direction and suggestion that you, you, you should take. Excellent. So all of the online courses are going to give you a baseline, but it's the real thing, facing the audience, because you can do as many courses as you want to. But if you can't stand up in front of an audience and have that experience and get a video of you performing, you're not you're not going to get the benefit. Now, one of the which reminds me of one of the ploys techniques scams call it what you will i advise people when i'm teaching them is in england this works it may work elsewhere go to your local university go and see the people who run the performing arts department um now not all universities have their own uh, performing arts little theater but some of them do find one that's got their little theater albeit it might only be a two three hundred seats because you know they get the family and friends to come and see the productions they're doing as part of the coursework and say I'd, I'd like to put a show on for you for you know i want to test make out your testing new material not that you've never done it before right. i just want to work in some new material yeah. so i'd like to do a show for free for your performing arts department uh, all the students from the different years between the different years they should be able to fill their little theater yeah. And of course, on site, there will be a, a media studies department that have got professional standard cameras and they could perhaps be convinced for a small uh, little contribution to the funds or the fact they can use it as coursework to come along and film. And your performing art students that are filling the audience are naturally outgoing, yep. want to be the centre of attention. I'm not saying they're just going to play along for the sake of it, but if they do, they'll be better than the average person. Yeah. Um, but they're not going to put up the kind of resistance a normal audience might do for your first show. And it'll help you get video footage to start your marketing. That's it. I think 95% of people that do a stage hypnosis course, like a, a weekend course or a three-day course, they're never going to perform. They mm. never perform. Uh, uh, that, that's my personal feeling. I think it's generally the ones that do those courses, in my experience, that, are, that actually end up doing something tend to be ones who've already performed in some manner. Well, they're, they're, a lot of them, when I taught my first stage hypnosis course, 12, I had 12 students and uh, 11 of them were magicians. Ah. So they were all performers. They, they, yeah. you know, it, was, it was an easy transfer for them. So... Yeah, so just get the experience, like you said, get real life stage in front of people experience, because that's the only way you're going to be able to develop your skills working with an audience or working with people on the stage. Best advice you could possibly have. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, viewers and listeners, watch this again. Take notes. One key message I've taken from this is exactly that. You've got to get off your backside and take action. Having all the knowledge in the world, great and wonderful, but it's useless without getting off your backside and taking action. And when you do, amazing things can happen, which you shall see at barryjones.com. Barry's been all around the world. You, you can look at the videos, or it just, you know, living the dream, as it were. Thank you so much for your Thank time. You. Cheers. We'll talk to you soon. Well, indeed. Uh, viewers, Join us again for another edition of Hypnosis Week. Keep an eye on hypnosisweek.com. Bye for now. Bye.